It's our midweek studies. That's where we're at. And we are in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Oh, yeah, there we go. And my phone's working. I got the volume on because there's an important call I may need to take while I'm streaming. It's one of those things, man. Just trying to juggle life, right? Stay afloat. I don't, want to, I don't want to start sinking down. So, um, yeah, we're in chapter 3 of Exodus, verses 1 through 9, and we'll be looking at Moses and his encounter with the angel of the Lord, the burning bush. And uh, it's been quite the journey thus far, hasn't it, within the book of Exodus, even though we are only at chapter 3 and beginning. It seems like each verse from chapter 1, verse 1, has a telling tale of principle, God's nature, man's ways. What has been introduced, of course, is a new king. A new king over Egypt, and this new king, well, he's a progressive, isn't he? Absolutely. He don't want nothing to do with the past, learning from the history of his culture, which was in cooperation with Joseph and his people and how things worked out pretty well for Egypt when friendly with Joseph and his people, surviving, persevering through the famine, all those kind of things. No, this new king of Egypt, well, he's a hardened heart, isn't he? He is indeed a fragile and insecure, rebellious individual who wants to, of course, as all tyrannical oppressors, murder he wants to murder uh, those he perceives as enemies, those he thinks are a threat to his control and his pride, and uh, he wants to get rid of them. It doesn't work out as he thought it would. Of course, the child that would that would to become a great leader for the people, um, God's providence, he survives, and not only survive, but finds himself in the hands of Egyptian authority. Uh, to be uh, 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 secure. This package was secured, if you will, and Moses indeed lives. But he finds a few moments of experience in his life which throw him back a bit there. It throws him back a bit because he recognizes um, the injustice of his kind at the hands of Egyptian bondage. And not only that, I think that was difficult in of itself, if you will. He also recognizes and has made is made aware that his own people are um, are not upright towards God and are not treating each other in a proper way. And uh, with all of this taking place, of course, he flees. He knows his life is in danger, and he he recognizes that his people are not what they should be. And all of these things uh, play a part in his decision to, well, escape to Midian. And of course, Egypt wants his head on a platter, if you will. They will pursue him to face justice according to their corrupt policies, but he flees to, uh, to Midian. And in Midian, he finds himself in the entourage of um, a man and his daughters, a well and water and flocks and work to do and uh, responsibility. And so he defends the daughters and he protects 
the necessity of uh, uh, water to uh, the animals and 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 whatnot there. But uh, and uh, so he's brought in and he's made to, to choose from one of the daughters to be his wife and um yeah you know it, it, life it's a new chapter in his life he's going a different direction now right away from egypt i mean he's been through quite a lot and that gives that gives one insight we tend to not want to deal with much in life but we should be joyful even when it comes through of course sorrow uh, or uh, moments of great temptation or moments of uh, discernment, all of those things uh, we thank God for because, well, it gives us insight. It helps us recognize right from wrong and uh, to utilize proper precaution in the days ahead with what we've learned in the days before, stuff like that. Wonderful things that we should embrace, of course even when they do come at peace and joy and, sadly, sorrow and pain. Well, Moses has got this insight at this point, enough to, of course, have him uh, fruitful in this land, but there are things taking place with his people in Egypt, aren't there? Verse 23, 24, and 25 of chapter 2, before we launch into chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and I do encourage you, if, if you're just new here, um, you can go to the archive videos. Uh, you'll find them on our Facebook page, Added Souls, and also on our uh, Added Souls channel on Rumble. And uh, we just opened up a YouTube channel. You can find it there. Also, Twitter account, opened up a Twitter account, got some stuff going on there. Um, and we also, of course, have it uploaded on audio podcast locations. So, we are, our last session, if you will, was in chapter 2, and it was in regards to Moses escaping to Midian, and we had done verses 15 through 25, if I'm not mistaken. And um, here we find verse 23, 24, and 25 giving us insight into what we are launching into, in regards to chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. So let's just read that together here, you and I, and then I'll I'll put the, the text on the screen. The portion of Scripture we'll be looking at on the screen. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, Exodus. I'll put that on the screen. But before we do that, let's look at verses 23, 24, and 25 in chapter 2 of Exodus. And it says, and I quote, Now I came about, or now it, it came about, uh, in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. Remember that king? Yeah, the bad king, right. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, hard labor, remember? And they cried out and their cry for help, uh, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So when you are found in such deep bondage, hard labor, being oppressed, tyrannically so, murdered, on any whim of corrupt policy, things of that kind. I mean, you are humbled to a degree of human reverence seeking a higher power for liberty. I mean, truly, I mean, what's the option? Reason with me here. Okay, stick around. If you are found as a citizen of a nation in which the uh, uh, powers and principles that are in rule are oppressant, they are tyrannical, they are of a dictatorship or a communist uh, regime. Um, 
and there is hard labor among the citizens, and there is death and um, uh, uh, a very miserable and uh, a very miser miserable and wretched way of life. Um, you become so um, so filled with despair and hopelessness and um, you see no path forward. Like, how do we get out of this mess? How do we? Well, you don't. And you accept that you are just in a land of no opportunity, that you are enslaved, that you are in poverty, that, you know, uh, there are lines for bread. And if you get to eat one meal during the week, that's it. You don't sleep well. You're losing weight. You're, you're, you're me mal. Uh, what is it? Malnutritious. Uh, you, you, you're, you're not properly nourishing your body. You can't. You're in a, a truly communist, tyrannical country, and there's just no hope, no end. What do you? What? What becomes your hope? What? What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Well, you're gonna either try to sneak out of there to a to a country where that there might be freedom. But what if there isn't? Like, we find ourselves today almost at the brink of a complete um, collapse of the Western world. Uh, if there is no longer any America or Canada, um, and everything is at the whims of globalist, tyrannical powers who do not believe in God, who hate God, and they murder us by the millions, and they oppress us and put us to hard labor and bondage, and, um, I mean, what's, where's, where do you go? What's the answer? Well, if you, if you've, if you meet the most despaired and sorrowful condition, um, every single recorded time in history, whether it be inspired history or, or secular history, it seems that humanity and his remedy or search for hope always goes back to a higher power. It always goes back to a higher power. Because if there is no higher power, and we're only just a bunch of animals here, then we are indeed miserable because we will always be shackled by the bondage of the new king in Egypt who's murdering our babies because he hates us, because he's scared of us, because he don't want to hang out with us. I don't know, right? Well, there you are. I mean, that's kind of where we find ourselves almost now in our, in our modern society. Modern, quote-unquote. So I want us to understand that point. And I go with you as we read through these verses. I'm just, this is impromptu, running commentary, uh expository, within context, what is the practical application, how does that apply to our lives today in the Christian era? Because you and I no longer live under the new king of Egypt, way back in Exodus thousands of years ago. Uh, you and I now live under the last dispensation of time, which is the Messianic Age, the Christian era. So we live after the cross, right? Well, we still learn, obviously, from the nature of God and the nature of man, 
and the many things taking place in recorded history and what that means for us in a practical application. Obviously, it is not strictly for academic pursuit, but also for the motive of our hearts, recognizing all of this and all of the message of the 66 books of the Bible is Jesus loves us and died for us, and we don't need to be orphans. We can be adopted by our Heavenly Father through His Son and know what love is, know what compassion is, empathy, care for one another. We can know what forgiveness is. We can be rescued, liberated, saved, and have freedom. Freedom to speak and freedom to move and freedom to think. And so when the new king of Egypt comes in to oppress us, what is the remedy? You see, the reason our current nations have fallen, both in Canada and in America, uh, I'm not saying complete collapse, but almost there. It's around the corner. We are fallen, nonetheless, broken in pieces. Do you know what broken in pieces is? You, you want to you, hear something interesting, and I shared this when I proclaimed uh, the sermon session, sermon Sunday session. Um, oppre- when... when, when when you look at the word uh, oppressed in the in in the original dialect of the scripture, oppressed, a great many locations, the word has a meaning. There's an idea behind the word oppression or oppressed. And interestingly enough, would you know it? It 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 interprets oppression as broken pieces, broken into pieces. The new king of Egypt had broken into pieces the people, the Hebrew, Israel. We currently are being broken into pieces by tyranny, globalist powers and entities that we never voted for, by the way. Um, Jesus can fix those broken pieces. God fixes those broken pieces, which is why, again, if you look at the history of our kind, um, America uh, and Canada uh, were built on the foundation of Christian principles for a reason. Because once you are oppressed and in bondage for enough time, and you've seen enough bloodshed of your own people suffering, starving to death at the hands of globalist powers, uh, you have to start thinking there's a higher power. Again, if not, what are we? We're done. It's over. Give up. There's nothing else to do. Really. But if there's a higher power... There are answers now. There is hope now. Um, so that's an interesting thing and perspective to truly embrace if, if, if you are a free-thinking individual and capable of doing so. <laughs> um, and that is indeed something taking place here. Again, the verses say, Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, and they cried for help because of their bondage, and, ro- uh, and it rose up to God. I mean, you have to understand this point or you'll miss it and, and will fall complacent uh, to our um, responsibility uh, to stand up for what is right. And once you've been in bondage long enough in a nation where you can no longer trust your even your neighbors, um, brought on by evil and sin and lawlessness in the land. There has to be a higher power. We pray to God, please God, liberate us. Now that needs legs. The prayer does need boots on the ground. It's not just a nebulous, 
last straw, well, I guess we'll try God, the God thing out and just pray. No, you pray with fervency and you pray with strength and you put legs behind it. What does it mean? Well, in all things legal to the scriptures, of course. And uh, the people of God, they had had enough of the bondage, enough of the suffering. And so it, it pierced them into a humble position in reverence to beg God for help. We're in a mess. We've made, <laughs> we've put ourselves in a mess all over again, time and time again. We Here we are again. Here we are. What's the answer? Well, you have two directions in your worldview. Number one direction. There is a God. There is hope. And if we follow his instructions, we will once again take over the land for God in the name of God. And we'll put the bad guys away. And there will be justice and rule of law. And there will once again be peace. It's going to take a lot of hard work, a lot of courage. Yes, some of us might need to depart this earth. But ultimately, God's blessing will be upon the humble who confess their sins, repent, and once again follow the instructions of inspired writ. Or... Or, we're all a bunch of miserable animals, slaves to the dance of our DNA. Nothing exploded into something, and who cares about anything because everything's subjective and, yeah, jello. The answer is jello. So who cares if there's a tyrant murdering us in, 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 in record numbers? Who cares if we're murdering our babies or, and elders and teenagers who are depressed because the girlfriend left them? Who cares? Doesn't matter. Really, who cares? Let's just murder each other. There's no answer to it. We're just going to remain slaves to the bondage of a God-complex tyrant dictator. Because who cares? We're just a bunch of animals. Primordial soup, billions of years. You're really going to love me on this one. I'm being sarcastic. But uh, climate change, evolution, has, is, is, is just they are fables and myths. The weather changes all the time. It's always been changing. Evolution is a myth. It's a theory. It's a bad one at that. All of which, mind you, I used to subscribe to as a liberal-minded individual in my past life for decades. All of it. But they're all lies. Hostile to the truth and reality, of course, of our existence. But there it is. Two worldviews, two models. Which one is it going to be? If we're only animals, you're always going to be a slave. We are always going to be slaves. Israel was always going to be in the bondage of Egyptians' uh, uh, oppression. Always being broken into pieces by these kings. If there is no God. But if there is a God, we can return to him, beg mercy, pray, confess, change. And he is eagerly anticipating it. He eagerly wants our change. He wants to bless us. He wants to give us security. He wants to save us. He wants us to be uh, uh, to conquer sin through his son. He does. He's not reluctant to it. He's a loving father, filled with grace and mercy. But there is a free-willed responsibility on our end to change. And the people, they're changing because they've seen enough sorrow and death and suffering. Sometimes that is a disciplinary era. What do you think we're living through right now? Wake up, Christians. What do you think we're going through right now? It's disciplinary. 
it's being permitted to jolt us into reality. If we don't wake up and we still think we're a bunch of animals, products of evolution, we're going to die a horrible suffering death, not before decades and and, and centuries of bondage and hard labor and slavery. But what do we know? We're just a bunch of fools, right? So here are the people who heard, uh, who God heard, right? So God heard their groaning. God hears. And God remembered, God remembers his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw, interesting, he hears, he remembers, he sees the sons of Israel. And God took notice of them. See that? He hears. He remembers, he sees, he takes. And now we enter into chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, looking at the moment in which, of course, because, in context, God sees and hears and he takes action towards the people. He is seeing that the people's hearts, not in majority, if you will, but to a feasible measurement in God's justice, that he is willing now to give them an opportunity of liberty, of release. And this, of course, will go through the leadership of Moses. The leadership of Moses. And of course, it is for the fulfillment of the greater plan at hand, the salvation of mankind through his dear son to come. So let me put the uh, text on the screen here. Quick, of course, to the housekeeping ordeal. Consider kindly to subscribe. Subscribe. Give a thumbs up. Like, share. Drop a comment. All that kind of good stuff helps, of course, this material. Um, reach other individuals like you and I who may find uh, substance and benefit to our uh, walk. I am early this morning. I typically go live from Uh, at 10 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. I had to go live at 9 a.m. this morning because, uh, well, my in-laws are coming in from up north and we have to bring them to the doctor in the city and they're not not well-versed and comfortable driving in the city, so they're going to come here and we're all going to get into the family vehicle and we're going to drive them to the doctor and stuff like that. So um, I had to start the podcast session earlier this morning. Please consider, of course, signing up to addedsouls.locals.com. You can support the work there. Uh, there's also the PayPal option, addedsouls at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, you can reach out to me if you need a physical address. We can have a conversation, a phone call, video chat, or email exchange, anything like that. Uh, it, it moves this uh, this work forward, and it's a blessing. I labor, I labor alongside the East Coast Church of Christ over here on the east coast of Canada. And you can check out the .com, eastcoastchurchofchrist.com, or uh, our Facebook page, East Coast Church of Christ. Okay, so now we're going to put up on the screen um, the text at hand, the portion of Scripture that we are, uh, of course, speaking about speaking about here. And uh, as you can see, it will be in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And it says, and I quote verse 1, Now Moses was pasturing the flock. Of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
So here is Moses going about the to and fro of his mundane career, if you will, his lifestyle, his his um his this new chapter in his life, right? And uh, it has to do, of course, with uh, uh, the flock there and um, finding a, a, a geographical location, finding a different location on the land there uh, called the west side of the wilderness. And um, he finds himself, of course, at Horeb, uh, the mountain of God, a location in which individuals would have uh, signified that in importance with God on that mountain. And so in uh, verse 2, interesting information here, it says, the angel of the Lord. It is my, um, how should I say? It is my thought, my opinion, from what I was able to study throughout the many years, uh, that this here is speaking of Jesus if you will, but not Jesus in the man form that we see in the New Testament on, and that took place in the first century, but, if you will, the uh, second person of the Godhead. Because there is but one God in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is an ungetoverable, undeniable, objective, absolute reality of Christianity. Anyone telling you otherwise is lying to you. They might be doing so high-handedly knowing they're lying to you, or more so often than not, they're just sadly have been lied to and are just simply now moving forward with the lie, stuff like that. But it, it, it's important you know that. This is not an, that is not an opinion, that there is one God in three persons. That's not a, an opinion. All three are persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Anyways, bit of an excursion there to that explanation, but the fact is uh, that my opinion now is that when it says the angel of the Lord, and I do believe it is defendable in an honorable court of law, he is speaking of God the Son in a way that you and I, of course, understand it more commonly because, well, we've read a bit of the New Testament. So the angel of the Lord, the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, appeared to Moses and he did so in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And I find that interesting because on the day of Pentecost, recorded, witnessed and recorded in Acts chapter 1, uh, when they, the apostles, the 12 chosen vessels, uh, became the recipient of the outpoured power of the Holy Spirit, it describes the reception of this outpoured power of the Holy Spirit as uh, tongues of fire, if you will. So fire is um, is a descriptive uh, visual to um, something from God. And it can be utilized, of course, either in judgment, as per what John the Baptist had spoken to the religious leaders of his day when he said you'd be baptized with fire. That was speaking specifically of a, an eternal fire, a judgment. But also um, that the recipients of information from God would be seen with fire as well. And one needs to know how to discern that with proper interpretation, obviously, respecting the context. So at times, God speaks, and it is as of a flame, the information delivered or outpoured, and at times it is uh, with punishment, uh, within uh, eternal punishment, yeah, eternal punishment. Anyways, so the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, appears before Joseph, uh, Joseph, sorry, uh, Moses, 
Joseph was in the other, uh, uh, was in Genesis, wasn't he? Not? Yeah. So to, uh, to, to Moses, in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And uh, Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning. Okay, it's on fire, with fire. Yet the bush was not consumed. Well, that's not natural. That is not something you can scientifically find. Uh, you can scientifically prove in, in a model's format, if you will. Uh, it's not testable or reproducible or anything like that. It's not, that is not something that takes place in the natural realm. It doesn't naturally happen. It would be supernatural, miraculous. And of course, during uh, these ages of recorded history, inspired recorded history, uh, God had permitted uh, the supernatural to manifest itself uh, divinely here on earth. Um, and we find a bush burning, and you and I know naturally anything that burns will be consumed by the flame, but this isn't. So it certainly is a sign of sorts of a higher power. For mankind is natural, subject, uh, subject to the natural elements and natural way of life, and um, here is something supernatural. So that is a sign that opens up a door to something greater than self or greater than the created natural realm we live in. And Moses, of course, as a human being, could have seen that and been like, what's going on? You know, that is not of a natural occurrence. So it's interesting to note that. In chapter 3, verse 3, Moses says, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burnt up. Human curiosity. Already with perhaps grapevine information and description of this Mount Horeb where God would be found or God uh, could be spoken to or things of that kind. And here now, seeing a bush from a distance that is burning but not consumed. Well, I need to go find out what that is all about. And Moses, of course, has that curious mind. Uh, he recognizes things. He's paying attention to his entourage. I mean, look at, again, chapter 2, when he saw the Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew. And then when he recognizes a Hebrew mistreating a Hebrew, he's, he's paying attention. He's aware of his surroundings. He's not putting his head in the sand yet, or wanting to, yet. I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. So something happens in his life at this very moment. Of course, that will forevermore change him. But he, remember, in verse 1, was pastoring the flock. And he was leading the flock to a location in the wilderness. Like, he's got a job to do. I'm busy. I got things to do. I have, I have an employment. I'm an employee. I've got this to do. I've got that to do. I've got to bring the kids to the sports events. I've got to... I gotta make sure the wife, I gotta make sure the work, I gotta make sure this, I gotta make I gotta pay, pay the bills. I, I mean I got things to do. I'm a happily married man. I got many responsibilities. I don't have time to go chasing after a mountain with fire or anything like that. Uh oh. See what I'm doing there? Uh oh. Do we do that? Do we do that? We we've we embark on the blessings of employment, on the blessings of, an, of, of a wonderful household, right? And we begin our career, we're working, got to pay the bills. 
to make sure the kids are okay. And then something of great curiosity takes place in our life, questioning our conscience, a search for some truth, something greater than self. Maybe God comes calling through his word and those who follow his word. Maybe there is a providential moment in your life. And most just say, hey, listen, man, I just don't have the time for that. I just, I got to pay the bills. I got to keep working. I don't, I just don't, it's not a thing for me. I really don't care about, you know, that kind of stuff, heaven, hell stuff. I, it, it's not a thing for me. I don't really, it don't exist for me. I just, I don't have time for it. I live a pretty good life. I got to pay the bills. You know, I, I just, no, I'm sorry. I'm not going to go look at no burning bush anywhere or whatever. Most people. That's most people. The world is crumbling around you. Your eternal soul is in danger. But I got to watch the game. Hey, Sunday, it's the Super Bowl. It's the Super Bowl. We got to go get, you know, got to get a few beers, get the boys over. We're going to eat a lot of food. I don't got no time for this God thing on a mountain. No, no I just, somebody else will deal with it. It's collapsing all around us. War is around the corner. People have lost their freedoms. People are starving to death. We're at the hands of a new king in Egypt, and he has broken us into pieces. Yeah, but the game's on Sunday, though. Got to watch the game. I don't have time. I mean, isn't that not what we see all around us? This idle apathy? This boredom? It's a good thing Moses was not yet so infected by that idle way of life. You know, I got to work, God, I can't mess around with this kind of stuff. I got the flock to take care of. I got to go back to my wife and kid and stuff. I just don't. I'm not going to go. It's a good thing that didn't take place, right? Because he could have. Moses was a man. He had responsibility. He could have easily said those things. Been like, oh, uh, he will have his moment in which he's like, ah, I'm not the guy for you, God. I don't think this is, I'm just not the right guy for you. But yet still, that moment has not yet come. But at this moment in his life, he's he wants to see what's going on. He could have easily said, man, I gotta, get, gotta take care of the flock. Can't stick around. Can't go checking out these things. How many people do that? Want to share the gospel with them? You have a gem of truth to share with them? No, I don't got time for that. I just, I just, I don't got time for that. I ain't got time to go to church. I ain't got time to be there. The kids' sports and everything's important or the kid this, this, that, that, that. I mean, I've heard it all. I myself in my past life had every excuse imaginable. Ah, it's just, I don't believe in that anymore. No, I just, I don't have time for that anymore. Nah, I got this to do. I got that to do. I think we have to look inwardly and start asking ourselves, what's most important here? That burning bush up there in the mountain? Or just going back to this kind of vain cycle? And it becomes a vain cycle when there is no spiritual well-being in your life. It don't matter how much money you make. It don't matter how many materialistic accumulations you have. It doesn't matter how large your family is. 
It doesn't mean it doesn't matter how healthy you are and prosperous. It, none of that ma- matters whatsoever if you are not right with God. So it wouldn't have. So Moses looking at this burning bush on the mountain, it, it would have been if he would have just neglected that, rejected, neglected that moment in his life, gone back to his responsibilities. All of his responsibilities become vain and useless. Because truly, why are you doing them for? Ultimately, you're going to die anyways. So aren't we just a bunch of animals? Here we are again. Primordial soup. There is no God. We're only slaves to the dance of our DNA. It's a useless life. And I can't even think why. Because I don't have a mind to think. I'm, 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 <laughs> I don't have a conscience. I don't have any empathy. I don't have any remorse. I don't care about anything because I can't. I don't know what caring is all about. I'm an animal. I'm an animal. Again, if you follow the train of thought in its, in its, in its uh, natural conclusion, that's where you're going to go. Well, it's a good thing that some human beings have the heart to freely think and say, I need to find out why there is a burning bush there. That's not natural. I need to know why. I want to know the answers to the questions I have. Most people don't. Most people sleep. Broad is the gate, right? Narrow is the gate for life. Broad is the gate for eternal destruction. So it's a good thing Moses at this point doesn't say no to that. So in verse uh, 4, when the Lord saw uh, that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Okay, so number one, Moses recognizes something that needs to be investigated. That's important. Ask, seek, knock. You have to actually be looking. You actually have to be asking questions. I've spoken with many people throughout the years who just flat out told me, I'm not looking for anything. I'm not searching for the truth. I don't want to know anything. I appreciate that you care for me and that you'd pray for me and that you want to share stuff with me, but I really don't care. So you'll be wasting your time with me. And I take that and I respect that. I'm sad that that's the direction they want to go, but I still honor and respect the human being. And I just be like, hey, dude, God never put a gun to my head. I'm not going to put a gun to your head. You made your decision. Hopefully one day you'll change. Hopefully you'll make it to that time in your life. But okay, hey, man, no worries. No worries, man. See, self-righteousness and pride and ego and jealousy and control, that's when you want to argue, you want to debate, you want to force the person, you want to beat him up with the Bible because you're so smart. No, no, that, that, that doesn't produce fruit whatsoever. It doesn't. You just leave them be. They don't want to know. Move on. There are 8 billion souls on earth. It's okay. You will speak to somebody else about Jesus. Yeah, but they're my family members. I love them. Hey, no one's telling you not to love them. No one's telling you to give up. Still pray for them, but move on. I've known individuals who have been idle in their faith, useless, no growth, no fruits produced ever. Why? Because they got 40 years trying to change the same family member who's never going to change. So there must be a free-willed, active Search, curiosity, questions. I want to know. Moses wanted to know. And what's interesting in verse 4, if you're paying attention, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. So God recognizes when you are beginning to look. And 
for you and I today, of course, his providential path has already been set forth before the forming of Adam and Eve. And so if, if, if we are noticing God, there is something here. There's something greater than self. If you first can at least make it there, okay, there must be something greater. And what did it take for these people? Remember, hard bondage, labored. They were being murdered and oppressed, broken into pieces. They were humbled to the point in which they began to think there must be a higher power. We need to go to God. Then you must look. You must seek it. What is the answer? When God recognizes that you're paying attention, that there is a higher power, and that you are looking, he knows that. He knows that. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. How do we receive such an account today in our dispensation of time. Well, friends, practically, you go to the Bible. You want to know the truth about religion, Christianity more specifically? Really? Well, that's a start. So you are beginning to entertain the thought that there might be a higher power than self? Yeah, there's a lot of evidence around me, all this engineering, all this creative design makes me think there must be something out there. Well, Congratulations. You're a free-thinking agent now. Yeah, there is a higher power. Want to know about the higher power and who he is? Well, yeah. Okay, we need to go to the source communication that he has given us. He took fifteen to 1,600 years for this message, and it was delivered through his inspiration on the vessels of 40 men throughout the uh, various geographical locations and culture of time. And you and I now have in our hands 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. It is a complete, perfect, inspired, God-breathed tome of literature. It has all the answers that are necessary, that are needed for man's mind to know God. So there's the answer. Are you seeking? Are you entertaining the thought there's a higher power? Yes, I am. Okay, then let's learn about that higher power. Are you humble enough for that one? Are you able to think freely enough for that? Yes, I am. Okay, then let's open the scriptures. Let's start reading the gospels. Put away all the distractions and all the devices and all that kind of stuff, and let's just start reading in the gospel of Matthew. And we'll keep reading. And there'll be a whole bunch of stuff we don't understand. But there'll be a whole bunch of stuff we do understand. And every other day, we'll start to understand the things that we didn't understand yesterday. And it's going to start, it's going to start doing something in your heart, your mind. If you remain receiving, if you remain humble to understand, keep reading the gospel, keep reading the gospel. I assure you, you will come to the same common salvation, the same doctrine. Everyone who is honest comes to the same doctrine, the uniqueness of his church, the uniqueness of his plan of salvation, the uniqueness of worship, and the Christian behavior and what it is instructed to look like and behave like, conduct itself. So the Lord, God, recognizes that Moses not only wants to know, but he's looking. 
And so, of course, God calls to him. You know how he calls to us today? The Bible, you open the book, The Perfect Law of Liberty. Don't let anyone, anyone fool you otherwise or deceive you otherwise. I'm begging you. There is an ocean of error out there, of religious error, that function under the guise of an a, 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 a angelic beings to be trusted. They are not. They are deceivers and devils. And sadly, many of our loved ones, neighbors, family, co-workers, friends, sadly are snared within the deceit of religious error, teaching them contrary to God-breathed information, which is a responsibility for you and I to properly interpret, to rightly handle, because the devil himself believes in God, and the devil himself knows how to use the Bible to his advantage. Be careful. Be careful of the leaven. Be aware. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware. They'll teach from the Bible, but they'll teach it for their own selfish ambitions. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are diatrophic, seeking preeminence and praise from men. They are puffed up with pride and jealousy. Don't go following them. Those kinds destroy everything. They destroy marriages and families and churches and friendships. It's their whole resume. It's what they do. And they'll masquerade as charming scholars. They're nothing but self-righteous hypocrites. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. You have an independent thinking mind. You go to the scripture. That is where God, of course, speaks to us. So Moses, Moses... And he said, here I am. Moses is ready. And in verse 5, he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Have reverence, honor. This location is holy. It is of a measurement in which man in his flesh must follow instruction. It's for your safety. It's for your safety and it's for the good pleasure of the great I am. I worked in a factory for years and uh, you weren't just going to get in there as a greenhorn without proper protection. You want the opportunity of employment in a factory and I am most certainly thankful that many people work in factories and build stuff and find employment and pay the bills and stuff like that. Um, but it's a hard work. And you need protective gear. You got to put your steel toe boots, steel toe shoes, steel toe something. You got to have your hard hat. You got to have your earplugs. You got to have safety goggles, maybe even gloves, depending on where you're at. Why? Well, because if you don't, you're going to get hurt. It's bad enough you might just get hurt with all the protective gear because you're still a novice. You're, you're a greenhorn. You're just walking into the factory. Of course, we're going to give you a proper hazing, get you all ready and set to see if you got what it takes to stay here and work with us on the line. Shift work. Okay, well, do not come near me or near here, sorry. Remove your sandals from your feet. God wants us near to him. But there is, of course, precaution. He is God. He is all power. He is the grand mind engineering all that is good and upright. We exist and we breathe because he loves us. There is condition and we are wise to pay attention. Do not come near here or remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. 
there cannot be any impure contaminants. There needs to be security. There needs to be a boundary. You need to understand this is holy ground, unique. It's different from what's out there in the world. This is set apart. It's different. So in verse 6, he says also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, to which you and I, of course, have been through a wonderful journey months past in the book of Genesis. I encourage you to check out the, uh, the archives. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And of course, then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. We do that, don't we? We're afraid to look at God. We can't, can we? Well, you will see God, of course, if you have a humble heart to seek him. It doesn't mean, of course, that you will see him in a physical, um, literal manifestation of his being, but in the sense of his love, his character, his, his faith. Uh, for instance, uh, many people say, um, I, see your f I see your father in you, right? I look like him. Uh, I may have many mannerisms like him, uh, facial expressions or the way I walk. Uh, you can see your grandfather in you. You can see your grandmother in you. It's not that you are physically, literally seeing the grandfather or the father. It's... you. You understand what I'm trying to share here in illustration form, right? Okay, good. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now he can see God, he can hear God. You and I can see God if we read his words and learn to know who he is. We can see him. Not physically, literally in front of us sitting down, as the Christ did in the first century among the people, but we will still see him. And we will see those who belong to him. And that is indeed a powerful discernment that God blesses us with. All glory to his name. Uh, I labor alongside the East Coast Church of Christ. In this assembly, a beautiful, healthy, and growing assembly, you see the love of Christ in one another. We truly, genuinely are thoughtful towards one another and help one another. We care for one another. We socialize with one another. We're a family. We eagerly anticipate seeing each other and being with each other. You see the love of God there. Well, I see God in the East Coast Church of Christ. I see God. I see the Christ, our master. I do. So Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then, of course, the Lord said, well, back to verse 6 there a bit. I am the God of your father. God is very logical and descriptive. He understands what man needs to know. I am the God of your father. Your forefathers, from the very beginning, of course, Adam and Eve, on throughout, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am the God of your people, your culture, your kind. You need to know me, and you need to understand your um, task, right? To come, of course, soon. Well, then Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look at God. And in verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Remember, he is the God of these people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware 
of their suffering. God is well aware of their bondage, their hard labor, their mistreatment. They've been broken into pieces by the tyrannical powers and policies of a Roman, uh, a uh, Egyptian government. And God sees that. He hears them. He knows this. I have surely seen. He can see. He sees them. And I, I, it's interesting how it is very descriptive of the governing powers and the, and the people and the locations in which they are found. So God knows. He sees. He, he understands this. In verse 8, So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. Oh, wow, good thing. Moses could have easily said, phew, all right, man, I thought for a minute you wanted me to do something. It's a good thing you're going to take care of all that. Right? I mean, who got time for that? I got to go back, shepherd the, the herd and stuff. I got the flock to take care of. I got a wife, got kids. I got a career. I got a life. I, I'm just too busy. Just too busy. I can't make it. I'm so happy you said you're going to take care of things. I'm so glad you just said... I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. Good on you, God. We love you, man. Thanks. Amen. I can't. Good on you, man. Thanks. Awesome. I'm so happy you're going to do that. I'll go back home, though. I'll go back to what I do. You go to church, and you hear the elders who love you, who minister to you. You hear the evangelist, the preacher who loves you, who ministers to you, talking about Christian behavior, and that we must be fruitful, we must practice evangelism and benevolence, and oh, God is going to do all that for me. You guys will take care of all that stuff. I don't need to do none of that. I'll just show up here once a week, sit down for an hour. I'll throw a few bucks, whatever I got left in my pocket. I'll be fine. Will you? That's a heart problem, isn't it? Yeah, that's a heart problem. That's a serious heart problem. You may want to check your arteries. The blood ain't going there properly. Yeah, you got yourself a clogged artery, don't you? Yeah. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land. Well, I'm so happy. Moses must have been so happy. Oh, look, God's going to take care of all that. You know what's wonderful with a healthy congregation? It makes a, It makes a difference. Being part of a healthy congregation where all the members of the body are active, they are active, they have a humble heart, and we are working for God. And God's work is a, is a wonderful blessing. You see, people disconnect this well-woven truth. It is true that God came down to release the people from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite, the Pizzas, the Pizzites, and the Hivite and the Jebusite. But how did God choose to do that? Is it because he needed Moses to get the job done? Hey, Moses, man, if you don't do this, man, I can't get it done. Please, please, please don't say no. I need you, man. Is that how God operates? Is that his nature? Is his power so limited it is conditional to the whims of man? 
I need man. I need if I don't get it, I can't get it done. If Moses says no, man, what are we gonna do? No. Not at all. Not whatsoever. He don't need us to get the job done. He's proven that time and time and time and time and time and time again. Why? Because he's God. Okay. So why give us work? Why give us the responsibility if you can just do it all yourself? Because he loves us. And he wants to know if we love him. Father-son relationship. To the land flowing with milk and honey. I will deliver you from the bondage of tyrannical government. Corrupt government. I'll, I'll, I'll deliver you from that. But you're going to have to do something. Not because I, I need you to get things done. I, I, I don't, but because I love you. I want, to, I want you to learn stuff in life. I want you to know why you love me. You try to run a congregation, heavy-handedly so, it'll never be fruitful. Because the members don't know why they want to be fruitful. They're just doing it because we'll get in trouble if we don't. That's the heavy hand of Diotrephes. A heavy hand. A very judgmental hand. That doesn't bring anything good. God brings good. And understanding the principle. So God came down to deliver them from the bondage of the Egyptian oppression. And he's not only going to release them. It's not like if he's just going to say, all right, now you're free. Go do what you want to do, I guess. You know, go for it. No, he has a very specific very poignant location filled with blessing. So not only in our time and era under the Christian age, not only can Jesus save our soul, but he puts us somewhere safe in his church where the saved are gathered. You see, that's why there's no such a thing as, well, I love Jesus and stuff, but I don't do the whole church thing. You are lost. Lost. It's an impossible, it's an impossible thing to have Jesus without his church. He bled for his church. His church are the faithful. Faithful few, but the faithful nonetheless. So he saves us and he puts us somewhere. Well, he purchased us with his blood. What do you think? He's just going to say, well, now I've saved you. You go ahead and go where you want to go and do what you want to do. No. I'm saving the people of, uh, I'm saving the, my people, the Hebrews, from the, from the tight grip of the Egyptian taskmaster. It's not just so you can go do what you want to do and be who you want to be. Follow your heart. No, it ain't about that. There's a specific location. It's not a bad location, is it? No, it's the land of milk and honey. You want salvation from your sins only jesus can do that his power okay well he's going to put you somewhere it ain't a bad place at all it's a place where there's love and forgiveness and unity and doctrine the doctrine of our lord and master the church that belongs to christ he puts us there 
What, are you going to go save your money for years and years and years to go purchase a car cash? You want to go buy a vehicle cash? You get in there, talk to the dealer and be like, hey, listen, I want that car. I'm going to pay for it cash. Oh, wow. Awesome, sir. Let's do, let's, let's do this. Let's get the paperwork done. You get it all done. He gives you the keys and you say, no, I don't need those keys. Well, what do you mean, sir? I, you know, I just wanted to buy the thing cash. Sacrificed five years of my life. Couldn't do this. Couldn't do that. Saving up all my money. Working real hard too. Now you go ahead and you you allow that car to be parked in any driveway and to be taken by any driver. You just go ahead. It's paid now. Well, you know how ridiculous that sounds. You know how that would be nonsensical and foolish. That would just not make any logical sense. But yet somehow... Many of us believe the erroneous teachings of false teachers, and somehow we think, well, Jesus saved me. I called him into my heart, and now I can just go and wherever I want to find any church, I guess, that that I like. No. No, if you read the Bible and you respect the Bible and you believe the Bible, you're going to find out real quick if you have a free-thinking mind. No, no, no. When Jesus saves you, and he saves you the way he wants to save you, by the way, not the way we want to be saved by him. You know, that's another thing. We tend to think that Jesus is going to save us the way we want to be saved. No, he don't. He will save you the same way he's saving everyone. We need to pay attention to how, where, why. And once he saves us, he adds us to a certain location. It's a spiritual house. So we find here, again in Exodus 3.8, that God is going to save them. But it's to put them in a specific location, not just anywheres, and not to remain among the bondage of <laughs> Egyptian slavery either. Oh, now Jesus has saved you from your sins and you're just going to keep living in sin? You're still going to remain a slave to Egypt? He saved you from Egypt. What are you doing going there again? You know, I speak to myself as well as I speak to all my friends here. We got to keep ourselves in tune. Look in the mirror and be like, hey, man. Jesus saved us, he had mercy on us, he saved us, and he put us somewhere. He put us in a spiritual location, which you find in your local assembly, if it is faithful and healthy. Why do we, why, why, why do we want to go back to Egypt for? Or why do we want to stay in Egypt? No, God's going to save them and going to put them somewhere. Verse 9, the last verse, of course, of our session here today. Now behold, the cry... Of the sons of Israel has come to me. Again, he mentions this. The people, he, he, he respects the free will he gave man. Man says, we don't want you. Okay, have at it. And then we find out what that means when we don't want God anymore for a while. Then we're like, why are we suffering so much? Why do we see our children dying? Why are we in hard labor? Why can't we eat? Why are we starving? Why are we famished? Why don't we have clean water? Why are we in a completely collapsed nation at the hands of very wealthy globalist powers who want us to eat bugs and have nothing and be happy. I just don't understand. Because we're not animals. And you thought we were. We didn't want God. And here we are now. So what's the remedy? What's the solution? We need to go back to God. He'll save us. He loves us. Of course he does. Let's go back to God. If we go back to God, he's going to save us. He's going to put us somewhere we best respect that location. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel had come to me. He hears us. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. I've recognized the injustice. I know the corruption that has taken place. My people 
are changing their hearts. They've had enough of it. Finally, they're saying, uncle, 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 I've had enough. Sadly, it seems in our era, we need to go back all the way there until we start looking at God again, being like, hey, I don't think we're animals. We allowed really evil people to tell us we were animals. They taught us in school. They taught little Jimmy, little Susie there in school, little Kitty saying, there's no God science. We're all a bunch of little animals. Yeah, now what? Yeah, well, we need to go back to God. God will hear us. God wants to hear us. He's, he loves us. There's protection with God. There's ancestry. There's land. He loves us. It's all for him. It makes him happy to see us faithful and happy because we put him first in our life. I don't got no time to go to no burning bush. I got the flock to feed and I got a wife to go see and, you know, got the kids. They got to go to sports and the game's coming up on Sunday, guys. Super Bowl 49ers. Now, behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. God sees these things. God can liberate us. There is no other source of hope but God. But you ain't going to know that until you've suffered long enough. And sadly, some people are so corrupt and evil, they'll suffer all the way. And they'll meet God and be like, what happened? I didn't know. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. You did. All right, let me switch here back to the other uh, visual screen here. There we go. How's that? How do you like them apples? Huh? How does that make sense? I think he gives us practical application, right? That's what we do as we go about uh, the information therein. And that'll conclude our portion for this session. Lord willing, next week we shall see the mission of Moses being presented, verses 10 through 22 in Exodus chapter 3. Please consider subscribing, liking, sharing, drop a comment. Other people out there might find this material um, of value to their life. Right? We get to talk about these things, and um, it unites us, helps us to make sense of, th of stuff, and it's good. If you find it uh, of value enough, please kindly consider supporting the work, supporting the Added Souls Ministry through the Maya family as we labor alongside the mission of the East Coast Church of Christ, eastcoastchurchofchrist.com, or you can find us on Facebook, East Coast Church of Christ. Friends, you can sign up to addedsouls.locals.com. You can sign up over there and support the work there. You can send donation through PayPal souls at gmail.com. And you can also find out our physical local address. Reach out to me. Have a video chat, phone call, email exchange, uh, whatever you need. Whatever you need. It's transparent. It's public. We're not ashamed of our faith. It's honest. It's genuine. genuine. It, it's available. So, yeah, I appreciate all of you a great deal. And uh, Lord willing, tomorrow uh, we'll continue with our topical discussion. Uh, and uh, what else? Check out the uh, itinerary. Yeah, the itinerary. You'll find there from Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. Again, today I had to go a bit earlier because there's a bit of responsibilities here I have to take care of. But uh, yeah, usually, usually we're live from 10 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time throughout the week, uh, Monday to Friday. That good? Stay focused. Stay positive. Till next time. 
Uh, peace out.